You know, we live in really uncertain times. I'm sure you've heard a lot about that recently. And uh, this morning, I wanted to share with you how God has led in our lives. Um, as you just heard, uh, he used to pastor here in the Michigan Conference, and now we're planning on heading to the mission field to um, uh, work in Papua New Guinea with Adventist Frontier Missions. And I wanted to share with you a little bit of the journey that we've gone through that has brought us to this point. But before I do that, I want to share with you a passage of scripture uh, that just kind of sets the tone for us this morning, and then we'll have an opening prayer and start. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Psalms chapter 67, and this is in verse 1. I was reminded of this passage just um, a couple of weeks ago. The Bible says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now, that's a great prayer to pray, especially in the times that we're living in today. God be gracious to us, bless us, uh, make your face to shine upon us. And I know there are many people that are you know, going through some challenges, whether it be through health or finances. Um, great prayer to pray that David has here. But I want you to notice why David prays this prayer in the next verse, verse 2. He says, that your way may be known on the earth and your saving power among all the nations. And I find this passage just fascinating to me because David's not just praying for, for, for blessings just to be blessed. Um, he's praying that God would bless him so that he in turn could let the nations know about God's goodness in his life, thus resulting in verse 3, let the people praise you, O God. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you. Some of you may be going through tough times. Pray that God's blessing be upon you so that you can share that blessing with somebody else so that God's goodness can be known through all of the earth. Several, uh, about a year ago, when we made the decision to make this transition, we prayed and we said, Lord, give us a testimony that we can share that will give honor and glory to your name. And God answered that prayer, and I want to share that with you this morning. So I invite you if, you, if you can, to bow your heads with me, and we'll start with a brief word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can gather together here in this digital world. We thank you, Father, for giving us these tools that enable us to keep connected. And Father, as we've assembled ourselves together on this Facebook page, to worship you this morning in this different way. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come into our homes, wherever we are at, sitting in front of our computers, that he would impress the message, the thoughts in our hearts right where it needs to be, and that, Lord, we would be drawn closer to you, and that whatever challenges we may be facing in our lives right now, that these challenges would be a means of drawing us closer to you, stretching our faith that we would depend upon you more. So, Father, we ask now that you would grace us with your presence and that you would speak to our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So 10 years ago, I was sitting in my living room and visiting with a good friend of mine, uh, we had done a lot of evangelism together. At that time, I was working with Amazing Facts, doing Bible prophecy seminars. And uh, he came to visit us in our home one day to tell us about a transition that was coming up in his life. Kyle and I had done some evangelism before. He was a gifted Bible worker. The Lord had blessed him with the ability not only to convey the faith, but to win souls into the kingdom of heaven. 
And now Kai was getting ready to transition into the mission field as a missionary with Adventist Frontier Missions. I was intrigued with what would, what would cause somebody of his position, he was a sought-after Bible worker, uh, to leave his position and, and, and go to the mission field, to a place where he didn't know the culture, he didn't know the language, didn't know much about it. Uh, and so he came to my house to share with me this story. And it was very fascinating to listen how the Lord led him to this point in his life. But what really made an impact was when he, at the end of his visit, he opened up his laptop and he showed me a three-minute video um, outlining the need for missions and the need for missionaries. In that video, there was a lot that was said, but one thing that really resonated with me was the 3 billion people in the world who have never even heard the name of Jesus uttered. Now, if you want to appeal to the heart of an evangelist, you tell him that there are 3, three billion people who don't even know that Jesus exists, never heard the word of God, let alone of a Seventh-day Adventist. And as I sat there and watched that video, I remember my eyes beginning to get hot as the tears welled up in my eyes. And I was thinking, Lord, this is such a massive need in the world to hear the gospel and the good news that you have given to us. There's so many people out there that are just longing for more light and more truth. And, and I didn't really feel at that time that God obviously was you know, calling me to go into the mission field. But that was the beginnings where the Lord started placing this burden upon my heart. After that, the Lord transitioned me into pastoral work in the Michigan Conference. And during that time, we picked up several missionary friends. We would have them come to our districts and present what was going on in their, in their respective fields. Uh, we picked up several missionaries that we started uh, supporting financially. Uh, we read lots of missionary biographies during that time, and the Lord was just, continue, just continuing to impress the need for missions upon our hearts. I had reasoned in my mind during that time that I wasn't your typical person that was equipped to go to the mission field. I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't a nurse. I wasn't a dentist. I didn't have anything, any skills in the medical field. I wasn't a teacher. And so in my mind, I, I didn't really feel like it was something that I could do. Now, obviously, since then, I've changed my mind on that, but I kind of reasoned it away. And a little over a year ago, my wife came to me one day, and um, she's an avid reader of the Adventist Frontier Missions magazine. We get it every month, and she reads it from cover to cover. And uh, one month, a little over a year ago, she picked up the magazine, and she was reading it through. And in the back of the magazine, there was a little ad on the last page for the top five mission calls that they had. And, and she looked through those top five mission calls, and one of the top five mission calls was for a pastor family to the highlands of Scotland, to northern Scotland. And just out of curiosity, you know, she showed it to me. It wasn't like she was trying to bend my arm or anything like that. We both had a passion for missions. And so she said, hey, look at this. You know, they're, they're, they're calling for a pastor family to northern Scotland as missionaries. And I was, I was like, wow, that's, that's fascinating. But I didn't give it a whole lot of thought. The next month, she's reading through the magazine again. She comes to, the, to that last page, top five mission calls, and it's there again to the highlands of Scotland, a call for a pastoral family. For five or six months, this went on. And unbeknownst to me, 
in the, in the course of that five or six months, uh, my wife began to pray that the Lord would place a burden for missions upon my heart. Now, she'd always wanted to be a missionary growing up. She wanted to be one of those Amy Carmichael's that just lived with the people and died with the people and went, you know, went to the mission field. Um, and so she, she always had that desire. And so she started praying and just, Lord, if, if it's your desire for us to go to the mission field, either put this on Jason's heart or give me peace about, you know, us not going. She didn't say a word to me about that prayer that she was praying. And out of all of the prayer requests that were answered that I'm going to share with you this morning, this is probably the most powerful of how God can change a person's heart. December a year ago, not this past December, but the December 4 of 2018, uh, I was sitting in my bedroom having my morning devotions. And I had just recently gotten a new Bible. Um, and I was going through this new Bible in my devotional time in the morning. And I was reading through the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11 was where I was at that particular morning. And I picked up my Bible as you do on each morning, you know, having your morning devotion time. And I started reading where I left off the day before. And I, I was going through Luke chapter 11. I just read through that chapter. And, and what I like to do is I like to find promises. It's kind of my spiritual hobby, if you will. And whenever I find a promise in the Bible, I always underline it in blue so that it's very easy for me to find later on and claim in my prayer time with God. And so as I was going through Luke chapter 11, I came to verse 9, which is a promise that you have heard many times. Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. And as I was going through this chapter, I just, I started praying and said, Lord, you know, speak to me through your word. I, I do this oftentimes in my prayer time or my devotional time as I'm reading through the Bible. I pray and ask God to talk to me through that passage of scripture and what he wants me to take out of it for that day. And as I was praying through it, the Lord it's hard to describe this, but when it happens to you, 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 you really understand it. And I've only had it happen to me a couple of times, but it was a very clear, a very distinctive impression in my mind, God telling me that it was time for our family to start knocking on the door of missions. And I prayed about it for a little while with the Lord, and, and, and I just had peace with it, that, that this was something that the Lord wanted us to start investigating and start knocking on various doors. Well, I went to go tell my wife, I finished my devotional time and shared with her what I had discovered. And of course, she was, she was ready to go. She was happy to do that. So that afternoon, I went down into my office in my home and I, I compo composed an email to um, AFM, Adventist Frontier Missions, asking them for some more additional information on this project in Northern Scotland with, uh, with the, the high, in the Highlands. And I get an email back from John Baxter, who's a friend of ours. He, he was um, in charge of recruiting missionaries at the time. And he said, you know, this is great. We're so excited that you're interested in missions. We would love to talk to you more about this. He said, right now, it's really difficult for us to get work permits for Americans um, in, in the UK, but nothing is, in, is impossible for God. And, uh, and so I wrote him back right away. I said, hey, you know, look, um, I, I guess I should have told you this, but I have British citizenship and my, my stepfather is British. And because of that, I got my citizenship through him. 
and, um, and this shouldn't be a problem. And I'm sitting there in my office thinking to myself, the Lord is already working this thing out for me. He's already opening doors. He's already leading us in a positive direction. Scotland is where the Lord wants us to go. Now, as you already heard in the introduction, we are not going to Scotland. We'll be going to Papua New Guinea. And I'll share with you how that. But I already felt like the Lord was opening doors for us to go to Scotland. So anyways, I emailed John back and, and he says, hey, you know, why don't you come down to my office? I'd love to talk with you a little bit more about missions and just get a little bit more acquaint, acquainted. So a couple of days later, we go down to the office here in Berrien Springs. We're about two hours away in Muskegon, Michigan. And we sit down and we, you know, we're, we're going to have this great meeting about missions. As we walk in the front door, John is having a, a little impromptu meeting in the hallway there with two other people, the president and the international field director of AFM. And he introduces me to them. This is Jason. Uh, he used to work with Amazing Facts as an evangelist. He's a pastor here in the Michigan Conference. He's here to talk about missions. And, uh, and, and that was really about it. It was a cordial little introduction. And then we went down to John's office to wait for him to finish his meeting and to come down there and spend some time with us. Now, unbeknownst to me, they, as they were talking, the three of them, uh, the president, Conrad Vine, he said to John, he said, you know, Jason might be a good fit for the Gogodala Project uh, in Papua New Guinea. They're in the process of building a training center there right now. Uh, kind of think of like an AFCO, Arise kind of thing that's being built out in the middle of the jungle uh, to equip the local Gogodala Papua New Guineans uh, with the necessary tools to be able to share their faith with other people. Uh, and so, you know, Conrad said with, you know, Jason's background in pastoral work and evangelism, this might be a good fit. So John comes down to his office and we just have this great meeting. You know, we feel like we're with our people. He's passionate about missions. We're passionate about missions. We're having this great conversation. And then he drops this bomb on us. He's like, hey, have you ever thought about going to Papua New Guinea as missionaries? And I look at him, I'm like, Papua New what? I mean, that like, it wasn't even on my radar. I mean, I, I read mission stories of, of people in the, in, you know, down in that area in, you know, Papua New Guinea and various other places, but it, it just wasn't even on my radar. I mean, I had this, this, this focus of going to Scotland. You know, I felt like the Lord was already opening doors with my citizenship and all of that. I was like, hey, have you ever thought about going to Papua New Guinea as missionaries? And, and, and he starts telling us a little bit about it. And, and my wife leans forward in her chair and she's like, tell us more. This is really interesting. And, and I look over at her and, I, and I'm, I'm like, I thought we had already talked about this, that we were heading in the direction of going to Scotland. And, and now she's interested in this concept of Papua New Guinea. And I felt like the whole conversation got hijacked. And to be honest, I was having a little... Uh, unrighteous indignation because I was focused on Scotland was the place that God was calling us. At least that's what I thought at that time. So we have this conversation about going to um, uh, Papua New Guinea as missionaries and all of that. And, and we end our meeting and John says, well, well I want to give you some more information about a couple of projects and, and uh, you can take it home and look it over. And I said, yeah, okay, you know, I'll take it home. We'll pray about it and, uh, and see where the Lord goes. All the meat, all the time I was thinking in my mind, yeah, we're gonna, Scotland is where we're going to go. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you where you, uh, where you tell somebody that you'll pray about it or you think that you'll pray about it, but you've already made the decision in your mind what you're going to do. It's really not a good place to be. Um, and so we went home 
and we had like three or four different projects that we were praying over as potential places. We started filling out applications, doing all of the paperwork, uh, doing background checks and psychological analysis and all that kind of stuff to see if we'd actually make it in the mission field. And all this time for three months, we're praying, Lord, where do you want us to go to be missionaries? And, and, and I didn't hear anything from God. I didn't hear a single word from him about where he wanted us to go. And I'll be honest, I got a little discouraged. I'm, I'm like, here we are, we're a young family. We're willing to leave our family behind to go to a foreign land to serve as missionaries. And, and the Lord's not even giving me any you know, answer to my prayers. And I'm praying, Lord, where do you want us to go? But I realized looking back now that the Lord was doing something in my heart during those three months changing me from what I thought I knew was best to a point of spiritual desperation to know the the Lord's will in my life instead of what I thought was the best for us and my family. So three months were praying, no answers from the Lord. And in that, in the course of that time, you know, we've been talking about these various projects with AFM and, uh, and one time John said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contact the, the missionaries that are over in Papua New Guinea building this training center right now. Uh, I'm going to contact them, find out some more information about what they want to do with this training center, and I'll send you the more information. It's just more for you to pray over. And so I'm like, great, you know, that sounds good to me. And I never heard anything from him for over a month. So I'm thinking maybe this is just not the place God wants us to go. But in the meantime, we get an invitation to come down to the office here in Berrien Springs for one week of orientation. And this is where they extend to you the official call to become a missionary and where you accept that call. It's also where you decide where you're going to serve as a missionary as well. And they do a bunch of training with you for this one week. So we're excited. You know, doors are just opening. We're knocking on various doors and the Lord's opening doors for us. And we just feel like there's answered prayers except for this one prayer, where? And so we block out a week of our time, take a week's vacation. We leave our district. Our church members don't know what's going on. And we go down to Berrien Springs for this week of orientation. And we show up on Monday morning to our first class. And we're, we feel like we're in heaven. We're like with our people. They're just, they're passionate about missions. There's all of this great information. And they're telling their own personal stories because most of the people there in the office have served in the mission field themselves. And we're just having a great time learning all of this wonderful information. And then we find out that... The next day, on Tuesday, they want us to tell them where, they, where we feel like the Lord is calling us to serve as missionaries. And, um, you know, there, there's nothing like coming to the end of the road and not having anything in your hand. And, and so we're, we go home that evening, my wife and I, and we put the kids to bed. And we've been praying a lot. As I mentioned, over this three months, I've been praying by myself. She's been praying by herself. We've been praying together. We've done a lot of prayer. And so we were like, let's just spend a little bit more focused time praying together tonight and asking the Lord's leading in our lives. Now, at this point, my heart has completely changed. In that three months from what I thought the Lord was calling us to do, I'm on my knees desperate to just know, Lord, what is your will? for our family. Where do you want us to go? I don't care where it is. I just want to know where you're leading us to go. You know, I didn't want to put a map on a wall and throw a dart at it and say, that's where we're going to go. 
I wanted to know specifically where the Lord was leading us so that when we get there and we meet hard times, we can look back and say, the Lord has led us here. So we're just praying together. We're spending this time in prayer. And in my mind, I pray this prayer. I didn't pray it out loud because I probably didn't have enough faith, but I prayed it in my mind. And I said, Lord, John, John still has not gotten any information back. John Baxter still has not gotten any information back from those missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Um, asking for some more information about the project. Um, and I, I just prayed and I said, Lord, if you, if you want us to go to Papua New Guinea, that's where you want us to go. That's fine. But have these missionaries get in contact with John and that will be an indicator that you're leading in us in that direction. And so I pray that prayer in my mind and, and, and my wife says, you know, listen, we've got a full day tomorrow. We've got lots of classes we got to go through, a lot of conversations and thinking we need to do. So let's go to bed and get a good night's sleep tonight. And we'll just leave it in the Lord's hands. So that's what we did. We went to bed and, and in the middle of the night, or actually it was early in the morning, I woke up and I vividly remember this dream that I had in the middle of the night. And in this dream, um, we, were, we, we landed in Port Moresby, which is the capital of Papua New Guinea. And we're walking through the airport, going down to the baggage claim area to collect our bags. And when we get there, the, the missionaries, Steve and Lori Erickson, the missionaries that are working over there right now, uh, were there to welcome us to the country. And, and the last thing I saw in this dream was Lori, the wife, coming to my wife and throwing her arms around Midori and giving her this big bear hug, you know, like welcoming us to the country, just excited to have us there kind of thing. And then I woke up. Now, I don't know about you, if you can relate to me on this, but I kind of have crazy dreams at night. You know, when, when we wake up in the morning and I tell my wife the things that I've dreamt the night before, we just spent some time chuckling together because I kind of had these outrageous dreams. I mean, a couple of months ago, I dreamt that I had long hair, you know, and that I was in a, a stylish chair getting my hair styled, you know, and so that's what, you know, I guess that's what bald guys dream about. I don't know. But, you know, I have these crazy dreams and, and here we are I'm having this dream. I've never had anything like this happen to me that like this before that we're in Papua New Guinea. And I didn't want to trivialize this thing. So I just kept it to myself. I didn't say anything to my wife about this dream that I had. We just got our things together, got ready for the day, and we went down to the office for our next day of classes. So we're sitting in our classes. We're, you know, in the morning. At around 10 o'clock, they invite us to come into this side room with about seven or eight other people where we would discuss placement and where we would go as missionaries. So we walk into this room and it was a great meeting. These people just want you to succeed. So we walk into the room and they've got about 14 options on a whiteboard where they think that we could serve as missionaries. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I don't need 14 places. I just need one place. And and so we start working through this chart that's on the wall. And there's just some places that were very clear that the Lord was not leading us to. And so we would erase these various things. By the time we got to lunchtime, there were three options on the board, two in Africa and one was Papua New Guinea. I want you to notice that Scotland completely fell off the radar. And so we break for lunch and and we're going home and and I tell my wife about this dream that I had the night before and a prayer request that I prayed. Now, I forgot to mention this. Um, While we were having the meeting, going through the chart on the wall of various places, I asked John Baxter, I said, hey, John, have you heard anything from Steve and Lori Erickson about the, the, the training center over there in Papua New Guinea? And he said, yeah, I uh, actually got an email from them last night. 
And I sat there and I thought to myself, man, this is crazy, man. I I just prayed the night before that if the Lord wanted us to go that direction to Papua New Guinea, that he would have Steve and Lori get in contact with John and, and they email him like that night, like probably while I was praying or something, I don't know. And so we're driving home after this experience. And I tell my wife about the prayer request and the dream about Papua New Guinea and all of that kind of stuff. And we just felt like the Lord was lining up some fence posts for us. You know, it wasn't like a lightning bolt from heaven. It wasn't like a, you know, an audible voice or anything like that. But it seemed like the Lord was leading us in this direction. You get two fence posts and you at least have an idea of where the fence is going. So we go back to the office and we tell them, look, we feel like the Lord is leading us to go to Papua New Guinea. And, um, and we begin to pray and we say, Lord, okay, we're going to step out in faith in this direction. And now we're asking you to confirm the call for us that this is where you're leading us to go. Give us confirmation. And so we, we, we pray that prayer and we go to our next class, same day, we go to our next class and our next teacher, believe it or not, was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. We spent a half an hour or more just talking about what it's like to serve as a missionary. We're like, great, you know, we felt like the Lord's already confirming this thing. We go home that evening, same day, Tuesday night, my wife emails her family and says, we've accepted a call to go to Papua New Guinea as missionaries. And her uncle emails her back almost instantly. And he says, I've always been intrigued by missionaries in Papua New Guinea. I'm so thankful you guys are going there. He said, I wish I would have gone there when I was a young person. And he has since then given us $10,000 towards our mission project. Praise the Lord, man. We just feel like the Lord is confirming the call. We get an email back from Lori a day or two later, Lori Erickson, just telling us how she's looking forward to meeting us and that they're thankful that we're going to be coming over there to work with them. And then I logged on Facebook and I noticed that she was getting ready to travel back to the United States of America. Now, this was interesting because I knew her daughter was getting married, but that wasn't for another month. But I noticed that she was in the airport. She was getting ready to come back to the United States. I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. Friday morning, the last day of our orientation, I'm sitting in class and I'm I'm taking my notes for class, whatever. And and this banner pops up on my computer telling me that I got an email from Lori Erickson. Now, I know you're not supposed to check your emails in class, but I had to do it. And I clicked on that email and it was Lori saying, hey, Jason, are you and your wife still in Berrien Springs? I'm here. If you're still here, we would love to meet you guys. And I just sat there in my class and I'm thinking to myself, this is just unreal, man. I mean, like, you might not think this is amazing, but I think it's amazing that God brought us from Muskegon, Michigan to Berrien Springs and Lori Erickson from Papua New Guinea to Berrien Springs on the same day for our schedules. Our schedules overlapped for 15 minutes. And so we set this time up for 15 minutes to be able to talk with one another and we're waiting for Lori to show up. And my wife and I, our classes are over, we're waiting for Lori to show up. We're standing in like this side room and, and we're looking out the front window. And sure enough, here she comes walking past and coming into the front door. And I, as God is my witness, I did not set this up. This is just the way it happened. My wife walks out of this side room that we were in to go say hello to Lori. She's walking out in front of me. I'm walking behind her. As she walks out of this side room to say hello to Lori, Lori throws her arms around my wife. She gives her this big, huge bear hug. She's rocking back and forth. And I'm looking into the face of Lori and tears are coming down her face. 
I can hear my wife sniffling on the other side. So I know she's crying as well. And I'm standing there in the doorway thinking to myself, wait a second, I've seen this before. And it's like all of the puzzle pieces start coming together. And I'm like, this is just crazy. I've never had anything like this in my life happen before. I'm watching this dream that I had the night before, a couple of days before. It's just not Port Moresby. It's in Berrien Springs, Michigan. So we finish up that meeting, you know, that short meeting. We're just so happy to meet them. And we go home. And I want to kind of wind things down on, on these few points here. And this is, for me, this is been the most incredible part of the journey. Tuesday, the next week. So that happened on Friday where we met Lori. The next week on Tuesday, we're still, I'm still praying. I'm in my morning devotional time on Tuesday morning. And I'm starting, I don't know if you ever had this before where you kind of have like spiritual buyer's remorse where you make a decision and then you're like, uh, was that really the right thing to do? And you start questioning yourself. So I'm, I'm having my devotional time and I'm just being real with you here this morning. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world did I get myself into? And I'm talking to the Lord about this. And, and, and I'm looking at, for those of you that are familiar with AFM missionaries, they have a monthly goal that they have to reach of, you know, people that give money every single month to support their project. And then they have a launching goal that gets them to the mission field for the initial launch over there. And Papua New Guinea is like the second most expensive place that they send missionaries. So it's just this astronomical, in my mind at that time, this astronomical amount of money to get us to the mission field and to sustain us over there. $118,000 to get us there, $7,600 to sustain us month after month. And I'm not making that much money just uh, as an FYI. All of that is project-related expenses. So I'm praying and I'm talking to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, this is just a massive amount of money. And I don't know where in the world this thing is going to come from. And I'm just having this real conversation with the Lord, just kind of talking it out with him. And as I'm, as I'm talking with the Lord and praying, um, a passage of scripture comes to my mind, and, and you're familiar with this. And I think this, this particular passage is uh, relevant, very relevant, uh, in the time that we're living in right now, right now Ephesians, or sorry, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. You know this passage well. Uh, it says, And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so I, I take out my Bible and I, and I underline that promise. You know, I, I, I underlined it in blue and, and, I, and I put my finger on it just like the George Mueller's did, you know. And I said, okay, Lord, you said that you would provide all of our needs. And if you're calling us to go to Papua New Guinea, this amount of money is not an issue for you. It looks like a massive Mount Everest to me, a spiritual Mount Everest. But for you, it's no problem. And so I claim this promise. I said, Lord, you said that you will give it to us. If it's your will, I'm putting this problem in your hands. It's no longer my problem. It's your problem. You do with it as you see fit. And so I finished my devotional time with the Lord. I closed my Bible. And about 45 minutes, an hour or so later, I'm, I'm walking down to the end of my driveway with my trash can, taking my trash out. And I you know, put my trash can down. I walk over to... Um, my mailbox and I open up my mailbox to take out my mail and there's one envelope in there. And this is the first miracle. I'm going to close with, with a couple of miracles here that have happened in our lives in the last year. So this is the first one. I open up my, my mailbox and there's one envelope in there. I pull the envelope out and it says three AD and across the top. Now I'm sorry to say this, but I instantly thought promotional material. Okay. You know, they're fundraising, whatever it may be. And, and 
my, but, but then I looked down at it and I, and I noticed that our address was handwritten and it was addressed to my wife, Midori Sliger. Well, you don't throw your wife's mail away, you know, and we open up each other's mail. So I'm standing there at the end of the driveway and I open up this letter and I pull it out. And Midori's grandmother had just passed away about three months prior to this at the age of 103. Praise the Lord for the Adventist health message. So she, she passes away and, and I open up this letter and I'm reading it. And, and it's 3ABN telling us that her grandmother and grandfather had had a trust with 3ABN and that they were settling this trust and that my wife was one of the beneficiaries of that trust and that we would be getting money in the amount of $7,500. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot of money, but you have to remember that just a few hours prior to this, I was battling this thing out with the Lord in prayer, saying, Father, this is a lot of money. I don't know where this money is going to come from. And I'm claiming Philippians 4.19. And, and, and then a few hours later, I'm standing at the end of my driveway, and I have 7500 bucks in my hand, and I, don't have, I didn't have any idea that that money was coming. Now, you start working backwards and ask yourself, you know, how did all of the timing on that thing work? I mean, how did God get that, that piece of mail to my mailbox on the very morning that I was struggling with this particular struggle and praying that prayer and claiming that promise? I mean, it just it blew my mind that God was able to do this. So, you know, I come back to the house and I open my Bible, Philippians 419. And I stuck that envelope in there from 3ABN. And I went to my wife and I said, read the highlighted promise and then read that uh, envelope from 3ABN. And we were just rejoicing that the Lord's confirming the call that we're going in the right direction. So then we begin to pray and, and we found out that it usually takes missionaries that go to Papua New Guinea two to three years to raise their funds to go. And we didn't want to do that. You know, we, we wanted to get over there as soon as we can. I mean, the training center was being built we wanted to get over there and, and, and be able to start using this thing and start doing the work. And so we start praying and we say, Lord, how do you want us to do this? And we felt very strongly impressed that God wanted us to leave our job, my job as a pastor, and throw ourselves into full-time fundraising. So that's what we did. In June of last year, 2019, we let the mission conference know that we would be terminating my employment and we were going to throw ourselves into full-time fundraising. So once we made that decision, we prayed for three things, that God would sell three things so that we would have money to live on. We prayed that God would sell our house, that God would sell our Prius, my little pastor beater car, and that God would sell our vintage Airstream trailer that we used at camp meetings here in Michigan. So we specifically started praying for these three things that God would sell these three things so that we would have money to sustain ourselves while we were raising funds to go to the mission field. So one Sabbath morning before I left my district, I let my congregation know at this point that we were going to be going to the mission field. So they all knew that that was happening. The Sabbath afternoon after potluck, I was talking with one of my church members and she said, you know, pastor, you know what you should do? She said, since you can't take all of your stuff with you to the mission field, you should have a yard sale and invite the church members over and you can raise some money, sell some of your stuff and get some money to be able to survive on and help with your mission project. And I said, you know, that's a great idea. I think, you know, we should do that. And I started listing off all of these things that we needed to get rid of before we go, go to the mission field. You know, we had, you know, a typical house here in America. We had a garage, two and a half car garage, a big pole barn, you know, 
we had all of this stuff that's just, there's no way we're going to take it to the mission field. We had to get rid of it. And in, in mentioning these, this list of things that we needed to get rid of, I mentioned uh, our Prius, my car. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, there was a church member standing right next to her. She looked at me and she said, Pastor, I'll buy your Prius. I looked over and I said, you'll buy my Prius? She said, yeah, I'll buy your Prius. And I walked over a little bit closer to her and I, I looked at her eye to eye and I said, now, now let me get this straight. You want to buy my Prius? She said, yeah, I want to buy your Prius. She says, I've been praying about buying your Prius. And I'm like, you've been praying about buying my Prius? This is, I've been praying about selling my Prius. And she said, I just felt very awkward about, you know, asking the pastor, hey, pastor, can I buy your car? She just felt awkward. So she said, I'm going to pray. And if the Lord wants me to have the car, then he'll open up an opportunity for me to purchase the pastor's car. And so I like to tell people that the Lord sold my Prius on the Sabbath. And, uh, and on top of that, she said, Pastor, you keep the car as long as you need it. And when you're done with it, just let me know and, um, and, and I'll take it at that point. I mean, what person who buys something from you tells you keep it as long as you need it and then give it to me? It's just, it was amazing how the whole thing worked out. So boom, there goes our Prius. It's gone. We're thanking the Lord. Praise the Lord. We go to Michigan camp meeting in June of last year. We use our trailer for the last time. We bring it home. We pretty it up. We put it on Facebook. A family comes from the state, uh, state south from us, and, and then she, she, they come up, they look at it, they go away, they come back again, they offer us a cash deal, they pay for it, they pay the same amount for what, the, the, what we bought it for, they give us what we, what we bought it for. And if you, don't, if you know anything about trailers, you just don't sell vintage trailers for the same amount that you bought them for. We had that trailer for five years. Things broke on it. We had three kids in it. I mean, but they, they, they gave us what we bought it for. And I'm just like, praising the Lord. There it goes out the driveway. Thank you, Jesus. Boom. The trailer's gone. So we have some cash to be able to survive on now. And we're just, we're just praising the Lord because the Lord is providing for us. And then we have this house. Houses are not as easy to sell as cars and trailers. We have this house. And, and we're like, Lord, we need to get out from underneath this thing because we just can't afford our mortgage payment when we don't have any income. And so we're, we're trying to get rid of our things, get out of the house, clean it up so we can get it on the market and sell it so we don't have this mortgage payment that we have to pay anymore. So we're in the midst of doing this. We don't have the time to sell our belongings. We're just giving them away. We don't have time to put it on Facebook marketplace and Craigslist and, you know, do yards. We just don't have time for that. So we're just giving stuff away. And, and I remember this day, I will never forget this day by God's grace as long as I live. I'm sitting in my kitchen at a folding card table. My kitchen table was gone. Our dining room chairs were gone. Our living room was empty. Our couch was gone. There were dust bunnies all over the place. There was boxes all over the place. It was just chaotic. Our kids were losing their minds because they were out of schedule and just running around going crazy. And we're on this crunch. We got to be out of our house in a week. And I remember sitting there kind of like hand in head moment, talking to my wife, thinking to myself, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? We're both suffering from mental fatigue, so many decisions that need to be made. And, um, I'll be honest, it was kind of a low point for me. And I was sitting there at my table and my phone rings. And I pick up my phone and it on the caller ID, it says Jim Mitchiff. Now, if you don't know, Jim Mitchiff is the president here in the Michigan Conference. And 
when he calls, you answer that phone call. You know, it doesn't matter what's going on. You just kind of mute your, your life and you answer the phone call. So I, I pick up my phone. I walk out on, onto my back deck and I slide my, I answer the phone. Hey, Jason, how you doing? This is uh, Elder Mitchell. Hey, you know, everything's going fine. And we're, we're doing great. How are you? And you know, we have this conversation, this, you know, all of that. And he says, hey, listen, something's come to our attention. He said, I got the treasury here. Something's come to our attention. We want to talk to you about it. I'm like, okay, you know, this sounds like an interesting conversation. He says, it's come to our attention that for three and a half years, or three years, for three, for the past three years, we have not paid you the correct amount of money. I said, okay. I guess maybe that's why I've been having a difficult time making some of my mortgage payments or other bills, you know, whatever. And he says, you know, it's come to our attention that we haven't been paying you the correct amount of money. And he says, we want to make that right. And I said, okay. And he said, so we, we're going to be sending you a check for $18,000. I about dropped my phone on the ground and I'm like, I got I'm like, thank you. I'm, do you have any idea how much this is going to help somebody who doesn't have an income right now? He's like, well, we're just so thankful we can help you. We're glad we found the problem and that we can make it right. And we'll, we'll be getting that to you in the mail. And I, I didn't have anything else to say. I mean, what do you say after something like that? And I, you know, I hang up the phone and I, I walk back into the house and, and I, I'm just kind of like in a daze, you know, I'm like, this is just surreal, you know? And I tell him, I tell my wife, Midori, I said, you know, they found this discrepancy. They're going to be sending us all of this money. And she just starts weeping. And I'm, I'm standing there thinking to myself, three and a half years ago, or three years ago, the Lord started a savings account for us that I didn't know anything about. And every month the Lord was socking away however much money it was in that little savings account. You know, what had happened was we had moved districts from one district to another, and they didn't adjust the cost of living when we came to the new district. And, um, and, and I believe that God providentially blinded somebody's eyes to that adjustment three years ago at that, at that time. And then God providentially let the blinders fall off of somebody's eyes and they found the inconsistency and brought it to the appropriate people and they made it right. So for three years, the God, God had this savings account that he was socking money away into to provide for our needs during this time, but we didn't know it when we decided to step out in faith and, you know, terminate our employment. But the Lord came through and we had experience after experience after experience for the past year of God's providential provision for us in ways that we just could never have even imagined. And I want to tell you, I've been in ministry for over 15 years. I was a Bible worker. I was a pastor. I've been an, I was an evangelist. Now I'm doing, I'm getting ready to do mission work. And I, you know, I've done all of these things. And for 15 years in ministry, I have never experienced God the way that I have in the past year. My relationship with him has been deepened in the way that I could never have even imagined. And so yesterday, yesterday afternoon, we got a phone call. Uh, and, and yesterday was one year, one month, and five days from the day that we had decided that we would go to Papua New Guinea as missionaries. Okay, so one year, 
one month and five days later, it was yesterday, we get a phone call from our supervisor telling us that we are fully funded to be able to, in fact, we're more than fully funded. You know, our cup runneth over for us to be able to go to the mission field to serve as missionaries. Now, I want to bring you back to something because it usually takes missionaries two to three years to fundraise to go to Papua New Guinea. The Lord did it in one year, one month, and five days, and he could have done it quicker probably if I had been more in tune with him. And it's just, we just stand back and we, we're like, we're just amazed that this, this spiritual Mount Everest in our life just completely disintegrated in front of God and his provision for us. I want to share with you one more little miracle, and then we'll kind of wrap up our time together with the Bible passage in John. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But about a month ago, we were praying that, that the Lord would get us into training to be able to go to the mission field. All AFM missionaries have to go through three months of training before they go off to the mission field, and they only do that training once a year. If you don't raise a certain amount of your goal, you don't get accepted into summer training, so you have to roll over to the next year, and we didn't want to do that. So we were praying and just, Lord, we really want to be able to go to the mission field so please let us be able to get into training so we can go sooner rather than later. And um, and about three months ago, our, our supervisor had encouraged us to start praying for a significant donor that would donate on a monthly basis. And so we prayed month after month, Lord, please send us a significant donor that will, will help move this thing along so that we can go in a timely fashion. And about, a, like as I said, about a month ago, I was looking at our financial situation, where we were at as far as our fundraising goals. And we were just under $1,000 in our monthly pledges to reach the goal to get accepted into training. Just under $1,916 that we needed to raise in monthly pledges to be accepted into training. That was on a Sunday. So I made some phone calls. I talked to some potential, you know, ministry partners that would partner together with us financially. And, and there was a few donations that came in and we were just praising the Lord for that. And then the next day I get a phone call from our supervisor telling us that we had been, that we were, that a donation had come through, that we were accepted into, into training, that they, that they were giving us a formal invitation to come to summer training and then she told us the amount of that one monthly pledge was $1,000 a month that this person was pledging. The day before, I was looking at our financials at $916. The next day, she tells us, you have a new donor that's come through. She, they, they are pledging $1,000 a month. You are now accepted into training to be able to go to the mission field sooner rather than later. And, and it was just like, I can't believe this. And, you know, I don't know this person. I've never met them. Um, I, I, you know, I don't have any connections with them at all other than, you know, now that they're part of our, our team. But it was just, I stood there and I thought to myself, you know, this is totally a God thing. I, there is no way that I could have done this in, in this time, that this time frame that the Lord has given to us. So I wanted to share these experiences for you because one day I was preaching a sermon before I left my district and I was sharing a story about George Mueller. George Mueller was an incredible man of prayer, as many of you know, 
They have documented 50,000 prayer requests that George Mueller has had answered. And 30,000 of those 50,000 prayer requests, they say, have been answered either in the same day or the same hour that they were requested. So just a tremendous man of prayer. You can read these, these stories, the biographies about George Mueller. And I was preaching about him one morning, and I was telling my congregation about George Mueller and his great man of faith and the prayers that he prayed. And on a whim, I told my congregation, I'm tired of reading these stories. I'm tired of reading these these, these stories about these missionaries who, who God has done great things for. I'm tired of reading incredible answers to prayer. I'm tired of reading stories about George Mueller. I want to experience this myself. And, and, and when we made that step in stepping out on the foot of faith, lead, following God's providential leading in our lives, I can look back now, and I know that there's more to come, but I can look back now and say, that it is such an incredible experience just putting your life completely in the hands of God. Some of us may be struggling right now in our financial situation, in our, in our health, in, in family relationships, in personal relationships, whatever it may be. I want to encourage you that these are opportunities for you to have it out with the Lord in your prayer closet let him work in your lives so that he can give you a powerful testimony that you can share with others that will bring glory and honor to him and build up their faith and your faith in his abilities. In John chapter 4, Jesus is uh, with the woman at the well, as you know. At this point, he has, um, she has left to go tell the city about what she's experienced with Jesus. The disciples come back with the food and water that they had went to the city to find. They offer to Jesus. And the Bible says this in verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus said that doing the will of his heavenly father was more important than his physical sustenance, the food that he ate. And I want to encourage you. I'm, I know that there are many of you there at Advent Hope who are doing the will of God in your life. And I praise the Lord that there are people like you that, that, that are doing this, that are just praying and asking, Lord, what would you have me to do? And following the Spirit's leading in your life. But if you haven't done this yet, I want to appeal to you this morning to throw yourself helplessly upon God and say, Father, I want your will in my life to be more important to me than my physical sustenance, the food and water that I drink that keeps me alive. I want your will in my life to be more important than the air that I breathe. I want it to be all-consuming that I am constantly, day by day, walking in the center of your will. And I want to encourage you this morning that as you do that, you will not be disappointed. So wherever you are right now in your homes, I want to encourage you just, you know, bow your heads with me as we have a closing word of prayer and make that commitment to the Lord. Lord, I'm throwing myself helplessly upon you. I want to be in the center of your will. If it means a drastic change in my life, as it was for the Sligers, so be it. If I'm in your will right now, keep me there. If you have something in store for me in a couple of years, prepare me for that time. Let's just, just make that commitment this morning. Lord, I'm throwing myself helplessly upon you. 
Keep me in the center of your will and let me see your providential leadings in my life to build my faith up and to give me a story to share with others of the power of God working on the behalf of men. Would you bow your heads with me as we have a closing word of prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't stand aloof on some throne in the celestial sky that just sends orders to this earth and expects us to fulfill them, but that you are a God who wants to walk with us, that you are a God who wants us to experience you in a deeper way. And Father, we pray that this morning as we just refocus our commitment upon you and your will for our lives, Lord, we want to stay in the center of that will. So we're throwing ourselves helplessly upon you. Lord, we do not want to trust our own wisdom. We don't want to trust our own thinking, what we think is right. We want to trust you, Lord. And so we pray that you would continue to lead us. If you have a new transition for us coming up, Prepare us for that transition, Lord. If we're in a place right now where you want us to, where you don't want us to be and you want to take us someplace else, move us there, Father. Or if we're where you want us to be, keep us there, Lord. But keep us in the center of your will, we pray, and move us that we might be a mighty movement for you, preparing other hearts that they may be ready when Jesus comes to take us home. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing on our behalf. For we ask it in the merciful and loving name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.